welcome to Bavarian Podcast Works Episode 2. We are still on the air, surprisingly, and a lot of that is thanks to you guys. We want to thank the audience for their tremendous support, uh, even though this podcast wasn't on Spotify or on Apple or on Google. You came to the blog and you listened to it there, and... It's absolutely amazing that the fans are incredibly dedicated to this, and uh, we just want to take this time at the very beginning to give everybody here a shout-out and to thank you guys for uh, coming in and listening to this. Uh, With that, uh, I'd like to introduce my co-host and my brother-in-arms on this project, uh, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how's it going? Great, Jake. How's it going with you? It's uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, I'm kind of terrified right now, just in terms of other sports, because uh, the Bruins Maple Leaves series, it's going absolutely everywhere. The series is tied one one as of right now. Uh, hopefully that doesn't change whatsoever. Um, but uh, yeah, how were how was the uh, weekend for uh, Philly sports? Philly sports is a uh, roller coaster right now. The Phillies are up and down. The Sixers look awful one minute, and then they look great the next. The Union are surprisingly doing well up until this weekend when Zlatan just destroyed them. But, I mean, otherwise, it's, you know, it's the life of a Philly sports fan. There's some great highs and terrible lows, but... You know, I'm trying to survive everything over here, and certainly watching Bayern this weekend was one of the the high points. And actually seeing a team perform consistently and just you know put the opposition away that was really nice to see for me. Well, we're gonna go ahead and get right to that. To start off this wonderful second episode of the podcast, we begin with our very first segment, which is after 90 minutes. That's right after 90 minutes is our segment where we go ahead and we look back at the previous Bayern Munich fixture and see how the team did. A 4-1 win over Fortuna Dusseldorf. I don't know what else really needs to be said. This game was just put away really early and it didn't seem like Bayern was in any trouble whatsoever. And if anything, the bigger story is not the fact that Bayern won 4 1 and then leapfrogged Borussia Dortmund back to the top of the table. It's that Bayern are going to miss a couple of key players, uh, specifically Manuel Neuer. So, Chuck, how do you think that's going to impact the team with the tough final run in the Bundesliga as well as uh, Pakal fixtures up ahead? Yeah, I mean, losing Neuer at this stage of the season, obviously it's not ideal. I mean, if you want to look at a positive from the situation, it's that Sven Ulreich has been in this position before. He's had to deal with high-pressure situations and I think he's confident in his own ability to be able to step in and replace Neuer. Um, you know, it's tough. Neuer's had a terrible run of luck the last two years with his health. You know, of course, last year he had the foot injury. Earlier in the season, he was he was banged up as well here. And it's it's kind of sad to see such a great player 
just continuously struggle with his health like this. I mean, from a confidence standpoint, he, he's probably shaken a little bit, but you know, he's a professional. He'll work his way back and hopefully, you know, he's able to come back for the final two games of the regular season and the, and the Pokal final. It would be great. I think from a team standpoint for Byron to be able to see him back in net, but at the same time, I think they're really confident in Sven Ulreich. I mean, I think maybe even a bigger part of what Byron is doing right now is that injury to Mats Hummels. Um, doesn't seem as serious, just a muscle pull, but Hummels had really been playing well. And I know, Jake, you've, you've seen his rejuvenation over the second half of this season and how effective he's been back there. And, and they may miss him in this stretch of games. Absolutely. It seems like a completely different it seems like Hummels has become a completely different player compared to what his awful run in the World Cup and now his wonderful form basically since the new year. It's been absolutely amazing to just watch him uh, blossom like that. Uh, going, I guess, to the actual scoreline because there's nothing really much to talk about here. Uh, Kingsley Coman scored in the 15th minute and it was basically kind of all over from there because then he scored again in the 41st and Fortuna Dusseldorf's only uh, only goal was a penalty in garbage time and then that was quickly answered by a goal from Leon Goretzka in the 92nd minute so this one really seemed like just a big snooze fest to me. Yeah, I mean, when you look at how the game progressed from the outset, it was a thoroughly dominant performance by Byron's front four. Coman, uh, Serge Gnabry, Robert Lewandowski, Thomas Muller. I mean, Fortuna Dusseldorf had nothing to stop them. Um, and then when you factor in, Tiago was able to cheat his way into the box several times. And Javi Martinez was able to really just put up a wall in the midfield and when the back four was playing as well as they did, I mean, there was just nothing Dusseldorf could do. And the just intense amount of pressure that the Bayern front four just continuously put on that Dusseldorf back line, you could see it was just a matter of time. They were wearing down and wearing down. And it was just talent and depth and an exciting style of play with a relentless attack. I mean, that's what won the game for Bayern. I'm very excited to see the return of Javi the Wall. To be honest, I don't even know if we really need to cover this game anymore. It was such a snooze fest, and the next two games, I think, are a little bit more important. Do you think you're uh, ready to go ahead and move on? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only other thing I, I think that would be of note that would come out of this, and it was going back to that Hummels injury, is, uh, you know, with Nicholas Sula, unavailable for that Pokal match, the upcoming Pokal semifinal. Um, you know, if Hummels is not ready to go, this could be a spot where Nico Kovac is looking at a back line of Jerome Boateng and possibly Javi Martinez, possibly Lars Lucas Mai. We don't know yet. I guess, you know, right now the hopes are that Hummels can come back, but you know, like you said, it wasn't it, by no means was this some um, landmark Bayern effort. It wasn't a game that you want to watch on repeat three or four times. I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're talking about these injuries and how they're going to affect the team going forward. I am totally ready for a Lars Lucas my back four. So yeah, you said it the best. The only real things that mattered in this game are the two injuries to 
uh, Neuer and Hummels. Uh, business as usual for Bayern Munich. And because it was such business as usual, uh, we will go ahead and move on. Welcome back. Um, now, after looking back on Bayern Munich's most recent game, we look forward to the next matchup in our segment that we like to call Der Ausblick. Yes, it is time for Der Ausblick, which is our way of looking ahead to the upcoming fixtures. Don't wipe your eyes. You are not seeing double. Yes, Bayern Munich does have to play Werder Bremen twice in a matter of four days. Once in the league this Saturday and once in the Pokal on a weekday, making this yet another English week for the Bavarians. Uh, We will cover the Pokal matchup next week and the week following that one, but we're focusing only on the one coming up this Saturday. Now, if you had listened to the podcast in our most recent episode, you kind of understand that I'm a person that really just likes to vomit out some statistics, so I'm going to do that now really quickly. Uh, Werder Bremen in the league have 50 goals, which is tied for the sixth most in the league with Leverkusen. They're fifth in the league with in shots with 396. They're tied for 13th with Eintracht in yellow cards with 46. They are 10th in fouls, committing 320. They are 9th in duels won with 2,852. They are tied with Hertha in 6th with 83% pass completion, and they cover the 5th most distance in the league while leading the league in crosses with 359. Now, individually, uh, Werder Bremen's top scorer is Max Kruse. He has 10 goals. He's tied with uh, Jean-Philippe Mateta from uh, Köln, uh, André Duda, and Alfred Finn Bogason. Uh, their shots leader is a man named Max Kruse, who's tied with Luka Jovic with uh, 78 shots. And the assist leader for Werder Bremen is uh, this guy named... Uh, oh, Max Cruz. Uh, he has eight assists, and he's seventh in the league. So, Chuck, do you think that it is unfair to go ahead and look at this team and call them Max Cruz United? Oh, I, I definitely think it's it's a little bit unfair. For as important as as Cruz is to the Werder Bremen effort, they have some really talented and skilled players that back Cruz up and allow him to be able to freelance a little bit and create that offense. I mean, two of the people that really stand out to me are Maximilian Agustin um, and Davy Klaassen, who I both think are just integral parts of the Werder Bremen attack. And when you mix in Milo Rashica, who has been excellent this season, I mean, that's a very formidable group that Bayern Munich will be facing. Um, you know, one of the funny things about Werder Bremen is over the course of the past year and a half, they have really developed And you could actually see this step-by-step, week-by-week, that their young talent has gotten better and better and better. And when you mix in someone like Cruz and you mix in a veteran like Claudio Pizarro and then you integrate Josh Sargent into the team, there are a lot of exciting things going on with Werder Bremen. I'm very 
eager to see how Bayern handles them. Taking a look at this uh, Werder Bremen roster, you notice a couple of names. Some names really jump off of the page. Uh, Ludwig Agostinsson from Sweden, who some may remember from the match against Germany in the World Cup. Uh, Bayern Munich Loney, Marco Friedel. Uh, is spending his time there, like you mentioned, Rashika and Max Cruz, uh, former Bayern foe Nuri Sahin, uh, Eggestein, Claudio Pizarro. But the one name that really jumps out to me and to the Americans that listen to this podcast is Josh Sargent. He's the young American striker. Now, we have no bias towards the United States at this blog because we cover a lot of German soccer. But Chuck, what do you expect out of Josh Sargent in these upcoming two games against Bayern Munich? I think the biggest thing for Sargent is to continue to get that first team experience. I mean, he did have a great way to start. I mean, he scored on his first touch in his debut and it was it was a phenomenal thing to see. Um, he's an exciting player. I mean, he's he has pace, he has technical ability, and he has a real hunger for the net. And you can see that he's an exciting player. He just does not have that game ready experience that you need in the in the Bundesliga from week to week. And I think that's partly why he hasn't featured as much lately. Um, he just right now lacks that game experience that I think would really, really be a big factor in helping Werder Bremen take the next step because of his talent. It's just not there yet. But everyone should be excited about him, not just because he's American, because he's a phenomenal talent. And I think with some of the younger players around him, if that group can continue to develop together, I think this is a very potent Werder Bremen lineup. So we're going to admit something to the viewer. We are recording this on a Friday, and we don't exactly know whether or not Werder Bremen would beat uh, Freiburg and where they would end up in the table. But ignoring the two matches upcoming against Bayern Munich, they play uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf, Borussia Dortmund, Hoffenheim, and then Leipzig, which is not an easy slate of schedules for a team that's trying to qualify for Europe. Uh, Chuck, what do you think is in the cards for them? Werder Bremen definitely will have its work cut out for them. I, the, the opponents that they have coming up are, are not going to make things easy for sure. Uh, but I do really admire the job that Florian Kohlfeld has done with this team. And I think that, you know, looking at those opponents, when you look at a Hoffenheim, and you look at some of the other teams that they're matched up against, I think that there's a good chance that they're going to be able to walk away from some of those games with at least a draw. Just earning a point at this stage of the season against some of those teams will really help them get to that end goal, which is a top six position. Uh, you know, a top four position right now, that's that's not possible. But where they're at in the standings with the opponents they have, I mean, it's not an easy road. But it's imminently doable, and I think that this Werder Bremen core has that hunger to make it happen. So, Chuck, last thing before we move on, do you think that they will get that goal of getting into the top six? I mean, I you know, when you look at that slate, it, it, it's tough to really think that it's going to be easy. It's even tough to think that it can really happen. But I, I see this Werder Bremen squad, and I see the consistency they've had throughout the season. And I think that they are tough enough mentally and physically, and I think they're just superiorly skilled at this stage in this season that I think that they can make this happen. 
I'm not saying that that they're going to roll straight through three points every game and, and just get to that spot. It won't be easy. But, you know, when you look at the teams that are in those positions now, when you look at a Wolfsburg or you look at a Borussia Mönchengladbach, they are no sure things from week to week. Uh, Mönchengladbach has been a dumpster fire for the majority of the second half here. They are scrambling. They're losing their best player in Thorgan Hazard after the season. Uh, they're changing coaches from Dieter Hacking to Marco Rose. There's a lot of uncertainty there, and that usually is not good for a team at this stage of the season. Wolfsburg has been, they've been tough, but right now I just really like the way Werder Bremen is playing, and I would give them, you know, I'm not going to say they're definitely going to do it, but I like the edge that they have, and, and I wouldn't be shocked if they pulled out a top six position. A uh, quick reminder, just to make sure that we got everything clear. We are still recording this on a Friday, and at this time, uh, Bremen is eighth in the table with maybe a win. They could jump up to sixth or maybe even higher than that, um, but who knows? They still have a tough competition with some of the best teams in the league right now. Three of their upcoming games in the league will be against the top three. So we will have to watch and see whether or not that team does well or possibly even takes at least maybe one or two, maybe both of the legs against Bayern Munich. But that is for the future. And for now, I think that'll be it for Der Ausblick, and we will be moving on. We'll be right back after this message. Welcome back. So, after looking back to the last game and our upcoming games, it's time to look at everything in between. The Newsroom. On this edition of the Newsroom, we look back at the most important stories that we covered on our parent blog, BavarianFootballWorks.com. I don't know about you, Chuck, but I love a good fight. I'm a hockey fan. What's not to like about those from time to time? But I think the last place you'd expect a fight is on the football pitch, let alone during a training session. But that's exactly what happened when Robert Lewandowski and Kingsley Coman, two people you'd never expect beef from, started fighting in a training session last week. It it looks ridiculous. Um, According to Build, the two were training at their positions late in morning practice when Lewandowski made a remark to Coman that set him off, a heated exchange happened, and then the fists flew. Uh, Nicholas Sula and Jerome Boateng both tried to stop the fight, but apparently not even the two bulkiest defenders on Bayern Munich could stop this from happening on their own. Uh, Niko Kovac spoke to the media afterward, saying the three of them discussed it after the training and after the incident, they apologized, and cooler heads seemed to prevail because Kovac did not punish either player. So, Chuck, uh, last I checked, Bayern is not an amateur boxing ring, and the last two people I expected a fight from were Lua and Kingsley. Uh, what do you think happened? Yeah, this is this was really kind of a unique situation, and I think I was at the forefront of this when we were uh, working through some other stories for the site, and then this started to come across Twitter, and um, we jumped on it pretty quickly. Uh, we started to try and gather in some of the details, and it, it, it's kind of funny because you're right. I mean, who would expect these two, of all the players on the team, uh, 
who would expect these two to actually get in a brawl? And it, just looking at how it how it developed and that they started to snipe at each other and then they got closer and then they started to swing at each other. And somehow both guy, I mean, both people came out of this with no marks on their face, which I mean, it makes me kind of question the accuracy of either. So it, which might explain some of the results they've had around the net this season. But it, it's just kind of funny that, it, you know, then we have the whole, you know, Nicholas Sula and Jerome Boateng jump in these two hulking defenders and they can't break it up. And then, you know, God knows who else comes in to, to help, you know, uh, break these two up. When you look at it, I mean, this is something that happens probably on every training pitch in, you know, in any league, any major league, when you have this many egos, so much talent, so much physicality in one small space, this kind of thing was bound to happen. I mean, we saw it last year with Lewandowski and Hummels, which again, kind of an odd combination given the, you know, the demeanor that Hummels has in most cases, they started to snipe and they had to be separated. Um, you know, it, it just it doesn't surprise me that this happened, but I was really impressed with the way Nico Kovac handled it. He didn't make a big deal out of it. He allowed them to keep practicing with no fear that there was going to be another incident. He addressed it. The players met and then they all moved on. And, you know, it was a fascinating story to follow. Don't get me wrong. We enjoyed the hell out of writing about it. I and mean, we have our whole BFW Fight Club subsection of our site. I mean, we, we kind of get a kick out of these things. But when you look at it and people criticize Kovac for maybe how he's handled some of the talent this year, this was a perfect example of how ready he is to manage such huge egos. One weird thing, other than the fact that it was these two fighting, was the reason why they started fighting. A report said that Lewandowski started chirping at Coman, who he feels dribbles excessively and doesn't get the ball to Lewandowski enough. Apparently, Lewandowski was still mad after Bayern lost 3-1 to Leverkusen back in February. This has to be one of the dumbest reasons to have a training ground fight. It's not like they exchange remarks about mothers or girlfriends. It's because Lewandowski, possibly the one person at Bayern Munich that gets the ball more than anyone else, feels that he does not get the ball enough. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's ludicrous. I mean, the one thing I think we learned is that Lewandowski can hold a grudge for as long as my wife does, apparently. If he's still thinking about this incident in February and, and, and it came to a head now, I mean, let's be honest, he, he has a huge ego. And, and that's part of what makes him such a great player. His confidence, his ego, his whole demeanor. These things all add into what makes him the best number nine on earth. But it also can have a wearing down effect on teammates. And I'm sure that throughout every practice, he snipes. I'm sure that Coman is also no choir boy when it comes to ego. So I'm sure both of these, you know, two alphas, they think that they are the man. And then eventually things like this happen. And it's 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 a it's a funny thing. It really is more than anything how ludicrous the whole story was about starting in February and this all escalating to now two guys that never really had an issue before. And yet they decide to punch each other in the face. They go full Rocky Apollo on the pitch. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, somebody throwing the damn towel on this story. It's just, it's just kind of crazy. Hey there, uh, Chuck, you just went ahead and made some bold claims right now that, are about to go out on the internet. Are there any statements that you just made that you may want to walk back? 
No, I think I'm good. I think I'm good to go. Okay, that was your last chance. Uh, we're going to move on to the next story. Uh, from one story about ego to a story about a club with an ego. It's no secret that Gareth Bale is losing love at Real Madrid, and it's clear that Real will try to sell him in the summer transfer window. One of the clubs he's been linked with is Bayern Munich, and the other is Manchester United. Uh, the 29-year-old Welsh winger is reportedly being shopped around at major clubs, um, and yeah, yeah, Real won 130 million euros for him. I don't know. To me, I don't think it's a great idea to replace your core of aging wingers with yet another aging winger, let alone for a price as high as that. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, when you look at Bale, he is a phenomenal talent. Anyone that would argue that, I think it's just kind of silly. He has so much ability. He has a feel to make big plays. He's... There's just a lot. There are a lot of good things to admire about his game. One thing that that you wouldn't admire is his injury record. He just has a horrible track record. He always seems to be battling something. And to even think about 130 million euros to spend it on someone who you wouldn't even be confident could could suit up for half the games in a season. It's just it's not something that any club really should indulge in, let alone Bayern Munich and their injury history. So. Like I said, I really do like Bale's game. If healthy, I think he would be a great fit. I think he'd be a dynamic fit, actually. But you know, 130 million euros with that injury history, I, I, I honestly, if it was half that, it would still give me a reason to pause. And, I, and I'm a Bale fan. So, I mean, if that tells you anything, it's that, you know, 130 is just way off the board. No one should even consider that. Well, I think that's where you and I are going to disagree. Uh, I don't dislike Bale particularly, and I think he is talented, but it's clear that he's been overshadowed at Real. Uh, since Cristiano Ronaldo left, I'm pretty sure the club was just hoping that he'd step up and into that role and take over at least for this transfer window or for this season before the next transfer window when they pay probably about as much money as we're going to pay over the summer. Uh, and Bale doesn't really seem up to that task. Uh, I find it weird that after that and with Bale's long injury history that Real is going to convince a club to cough up 130 million euros for a player that really only seems to show up in the finals of major competition. Now, I don't think that Bayern should consider him period, regardless of price. Even if it was half the price, I wouldn't pay for Gareth Bale. Would you, let's say, let's see, half of that is about 65 million euros. Would you buy Bale for 65 million? I would absolutely do that. I, I do not have a man bun bias like you, Jake. So I, I would no doubt cash in on Gareth Bale at 65 to 70 million. And I know that will probably infuriate many of the uh, BFW community members. If there's one thing that everyone can agree on except maybe me it's that no one wants gareth bale at Bayern munich i would do it at 65 or 70 i don't think the the number will drop quite that low to me i would guess that manchester united will end up somewhere in that 80 to 90 million euro range buying gareth bale and then he will go there and be injured probably for half of every season but uh, you know it's one of those things where, where we look at it 
and you see the number and that takes it right off the board. But if you do lower it, I, I do think he has enough quality to, to warrant a look. It'll just never get that low, unfortunately. And if Bale goes to Manchester United, he's going to be included in the long list of really, really good winging talent that were a lot of money, such wonderful names as Memphis Depay and Fred and Angel Di Maria. But we're going to move on to our final story. Now, I don't know about you, but I was sad when I heard that Mats Hummels, Jerome Boateng, and Thomas Müller were unceremoniously being dropped from the German national team. And it seems like I wasn't really the only one. Uh, according to a report from Sport One, not many people on the national team were happy about that decision. Uh, the article discusses how Hummels has always been previously critical about his own performances, but things went sour after the terrible World Cup. Uh, the writer of the report says that in the last few months, Hummels feels, however, that he has come under undue criticism relative to his performances, and he feels he's still a top-level defender. Some players, including our very own Joshua Kimmich, have publicly voiced their displeasure at this move by Yogi Love. but going back to that previous point, do you believe that Mats Hummels is a top-level defender in the German national system. I do, and I think it's also one of the strongest arguments you can make to keep Hummels with Bayern next season. You need a veteran defender. You need someone who has the experience that a player like Hummels has. You cannot replicate that. You cannot roll Nicholas Sula out and get that same level of experience, that same level of knowledge on the field. You can't get that level of confidence in a tough situation that Hummels brings. Hummels has basically seen it all. And I think that his value, not just to Bayern, but also to Germany, was, was never really appreciated over the past year. Sure, I mean, the entire team struggled at the 2018 World Cup. But to discard Hummels at this stage, I just thought it was naive by Lowe. And I really think that Hummels has a lot to offer. And if I look at this from a Bayern perspective, what Hummels has shown over the last two months, despite a uh, brain cramp here and there, he's shown a tremendous ability, not just physically, but with his mind. He knows he's not the paciest of the defenders, but yet he still finds himself in a great position. He still has the ability to track back and make a big tackle in a key situation. And the fact that Lowe discarded that, he discarded the veteran experience, the type of influence that, that Hummels could have on young defenders that are on that German team, I thought it was just, I, I say naive, but in some ways it was really stupid. And I think that when you look at Hummels, and sure, you could criticize some of his performances for the national team, not just from the World Cup, but everything following that, to, to take a player and get rid of him because he was in a little bit of a slump at the time it's just short-sighted and I think Hummels still over the next couple of years could have been a very influential figure in helping those defenders really develop and reach their potential in the German system Yogi Lowe will probably regret this move right now when I look at the German team they have a, a lack of communication a lack of leadership and a lack of experience. And you could see that in the games that they've played since since Hummels has not been there. And even with Boateng, uh, 
sure, I think Boateng has probably uh, lost some of that quality. But I still think he could have played a role. And I'm not saying he could have been a starter. But just to have a player with that kind of experience on the bench, you could really help integrate those German defenders and help them take that next step and develop into key starters for the team. And that was one of the arguments that I made, at least in terms of having veterans, when I wrote my art, my part of the article, at least, for a roundtable the day that this decision was made. Uh, looking back at those players, it probably wasn't likely that all of them would have gone to Euro 2020. You could make the argument for either Hummels or Müller, but regardless, I think those three players have a combined experience that's incredibly valuable to the young squad that Yogi Löw plans to bring to the Euros, with a back line that looks like it's probably going to consist in at least some part of Nicolas Sula, Jonathan Ta, and Tilo Kerr, you want that experience that both Boateng and Hummels bring, and with an attacking midfield looking like Goretzka and Julian Brandt and Leroy Sané and... Uh, and uh, Timo Werner, you want Muller's experience, but I think you can see that need for these players in how the players in the German national team have reacted to this. Uh, it's been a lot of backlash towards Yogi Love. Do you think that that may put pressure on him to reinstate the players, at the very least, Mats Hummels? You know, I, I don't. I think that Yogi Love is so arrogant that he thinks so much of himself that he cannot recognize his own mistakes that he would never circle back and look at those three players again. To lose the leadership of Hummels defensively and for Muller offensively, it's, it, will, it will take Germany a long time to recover that. I'm a big Marco Royce supporter. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he has the capability to be a leader. But he's not quite there. He's not quite Thomas Muller yet. And when I look at the the rationale for letting players like Hummels and Muller go, they held a voice in the locker room. They had the type of experience and the type of credibility to challenge Yogi Love. And I think one of the things that really played in the background of this is Yogi wanted to get rid of those factors. He didn't need those voices around. He wanted to take control take control of this team and mold these young players without any outside influence. And I think more than anything, more than a lack of talent, a lack of quality, a lack of speed, a lack of skill, anything, I think that's what played into this decision. I agree. It's really sad to see these high-quality players go, especially those who have dedicated their time and energy to the DAF Bay for years. So that's going to wrap up our segment of the newsroom, and with that, we are going to move on. Welcome back, and we move on right into our final segment. Before we go... We just have one more thing to say before we go, and it concerns James Rodriguez. I really like James Rodriguez. I have ever since he lit up the world stage in 2014 for Colombia, scoring beautiful goal after beautiful goal in Brazil. But I also live in reality. James was recently named the player of the month of March for Bayern Munich, beating out the next best player, Serge Gnabry, by over 20%. Now. While I believe that James really has a 
had a really good march? Do I think that he's been better than Gnabry? Does he deserve it? Well, let's compare the two. Statistically, thanks to whoscored.com, it's clear who the best player in the month of March was, and he doesn't wear number 11. Over eight games, James Rodriguez bagged four goals and an assist. This included an amazing hat trick against Mainz, but amidst that run, he had an awful performance against Liverpool and put in lackluster performances against Mönchengladbach and Heidenheim. Gnabry also had a rough game against Liverpool, but unlike James, Gnabry does not play in a central position, and therefore doesn't dictate the run of play, the passes, and the general style of play that Bayern Munich has. It should also be noted that during the same number of games, Gnabry got less minutes while bagging 6 goals and 3 assists. The two players play different positions, I'm aware. And this is not a question of who's a better player, it's who is a better player in the team system that Bayern Munich has set up, and to me, that's Gnabry. But there's another reason why I like Gnabry. Gnabry doesn't talk to the media about how unhappy he is with the coach, or with playing time, or threatening to go back to the parent club, or, as we saw recently, he doesn't have the father of his ex-wife go on the radio in Italy and say that he wants to go to Napoli. To reiterate, I appreciate James Rodriguez, but I do not think that he fits in with the team system at Bayern Munich. And I think that if Hummus storms into the boardroom and makes a case of either Niko Kovac goes or I go, despite the fact that KHR is infatuated with him, I don't think the board is going to dump the manager. So that is before we go. Uh, Chuck, I'd like to turn it over to you and let you share your thoughts on that. I mean, it's... There's no doubt that James Rodriguez is a phenomenally talented player. There are so many good qualities to his game, from his vision to his pinpoint passing to the great touch that he has on his shot. Unfortunately for Bayern, he is a position of luxury at this point. When you compare him to Thomas Muller, I feel like Muller's a better fit for what Bayern does. When you look at Serge Gnabry, I feel like he, again, fits more the Bayern mold. And it's not a, like you said, Jake, it's really not a comparison of player to player. But it's more that James, for as phenomenally talented as he is, is just not a great fit here. Now, any coach, any good coach can use talent and make it work. But I just don't buy into the fact that James really wants to be here. It's been a year and a half long transfer saga. He never appeared to be happy here. We've heard the on-again, off-again whispers and rumors about wanting to go to either Madrid or Juventus or Napoli or basically anywhere but Bayern. And when you have teams from the Premier League and from Serie A and La Liga all kind of checking in to see how James is doing, to see if he has any interest, I think that there is enough out there for Bayern to work with the player and Real Madrid and find a way to get him to a place where he can be the man. And I just don't think that he's ever going to be that with Bayern. And again, it's not a knock on his talent. There aren't many other players in the world with the kind of technical skill that he possesses. But at this stage, Bayern is just not as good of a team when he's in the lineup. The other weapons that they have fit the mold of what they're trying to do. And and for James, I hope that he does find a good spot after this season. I hope that he can work with Bayern and Real Madrid and find a way to get to a place 
where he can be a primary contributor and a consistent starter for a coach that appreciates him and knows how to utilize his talents. Now, if I may, I would like to go ahead and compare two specific transfer sagas. One would be Robert Lewandowski's from this most recent summer transfer window, and this one currently going on with Hamas Rodriguez. The one big difference that I just generally see in these two is that Robert Lewandowski pretty much only wanted to go to Real Madrid. And let's be perfectly honest, Real Madrid is a phenomenal club. They are a historic club. They have really good talent. And with Cristiano leaving, Real really had the money to be able to make this move possible. And it was a move that could have really benefited Lewandowski. So I don't really fault him for wanting to make this move, and he just kind of felt like none of the fans were really paying attention to him. Whereas with James, it's just kind of been clear ever since his favorite manager left that he hasn't really liked it here, and he wants to leave. And I think that when comparing the two, I'd rather take... Lewandowski any day because at least he wants to stay there. I'm not going to say that Napoli is a lateral move for James Rodriguez. If anything, it's a step down. And he's probably not even going to get playing time when he comes back to Real Madrid now that Zidane is there and Zidane didn't really give him that much playing time before. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you brought up the Robert Lewandowski saga from last summer. In the end, when it when push came to shove with Lewandowski, it came down to he wanted to feel some love from Bayern Munich. And sure, I'm, I am positive that a future with Real Madrid was appealing to him. But in the end, he wanted to know that he was appreciated. And it took until about September of 2018 until that really happened. As far as James Rodriguez goes, I'm not sure even if Bayern gave him that same type of love that he would accept it. It just it just doesn't seem like he wants to be with Bayern. And that's fine. Every player has that prerogative. They can go where they want to go. And if he doesn't feel like his future is in Germany, he has, by, by all means, he should be able to seek out a place where he wants to be. And I think that Bayern as a club will support that. And if it's true that, that James James does indeed want to be elsewhere, I think the club will support it and put him someplace where he can excel. I agree. I think that the Bayern Munich board isn't really going to set out to ruin James Rodriguez's career because in the end, I really think Bayern Munich wished that this move worked, right? James Rodriguez brings himself... brings James Rodriguez brings with him the South American and Latin American audience, and it's an audience that Bayern Munich really tried to grasp, including when they opened up the Spanish language store to try to cater to the South American audience and the Latin American audience that was coming in with Hamas Rodriguez. And when Hamas leaves this summer, none of them will probably stay and root for Bayern Munich. Some will, but I guarantee that a majority of them will follow Hamas wherever he goes. So they're probably about to be a whole lot of brand new Napoli fans living in Panama and Costa Rica and El Salvador and Colombia, but 
Uh, overall, I think that the thing that uh, listeners should take away from this is that we neither of us think that Hamas is a particularly bad player, but we both believe, I think, if I can speak for you, Chuck, that Hamas's skills is are phenomenal. He's a very well-skilled player, but I think he fits well at a Real Madrid because Real Madrid's team style is very reliant on individual talent. They rely on players to take the ball and be able to move however and whenever they want, and they can get out of jams really easily, and they can move independently, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, it's just, it's different than what Bayern Munich does. Bayern Munich moves the ball up as a team. There's a lot of passing, there's a lot of crosses into the box, and a lot of defensive backs running up and down the field, and high work rate, and everybody really working together to try to build up to team goals. And it's not something that James Rodriguez is used to, and therefore his style of play doesn't really fit with the team. That's not to fault James Rodriguez at all, it's just the reality of how Bayern Munich plays soccer. I agree 100%. And when you look at what that future plan is for Bayern, having that two-headed kind of competition there for the attacking midfield role with Thomas Muller and James Rodriguez, I don't think it works. I don't think either player will be happy with that. And I think that by moving one of them with the most likely candidate being James, it would allow Bayern to pursue someone like Leverkusen's Kai Havertz or, you know, A.S. Roma's Nicolo Zaniolo, who Bayern has recently been linked to. We all know that Havertz most likely is not going anywhere this summer, but to be able to have you know an established veteran like Muller and to have a younger player kind of waiting in the wings, a player with some versatility like Havertz or Zaniolo who can also play another position like wing, I think that's more the ideal setup for what Bayern's looking for. And, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, to have two world-class talents for one spot, it's just a luxury that Bayern doesn't need or or really it's not something that either player would, I'm sure, really want to sign up for for next season. I completely agree. I couldn't agree more. So, James Rodriguez, if you're listening, we at Bavarian Football Works absolutely love you, but... We hope and wish for the best for you in your career endeavors, whether or not you stay at Bayern Munich or more likely if you leave. Uh, We love you. We appreciate you. And we will always remember the good times that you brought to us. And with that, I think that's a great place to end our second ever podcast. Uh, For those of you that are possibly listening to the first time, I know it's at the very end, but I'd like to take the opportunity to welcome you. For those of you who are listening to us for the second time, uh, thank you for listening to us again. And if you enjoy this podcast, uh, please rate us, uh, please subscribe to us across all channels, including Apple and Spotify and Google, etc., etc., um, and for those that are listening in that want to interact with this podcast, I have a fun announcement that I would like to make with you guys. Uh, 
what we hope to do for future editions of this podcast is to alternate between newsroom and another segment called Ask BPW, which is where you, the listeners, will submit to us questions on Twitter and we'll try to answer them. So use the hashtag, hashtag AskBPW, and that way we will be able to get your questions and we might be able to read them out on air. Um, and another thing, again, back more towards the rating and the subscribing, for those that uh, know what it's like to make a podcast, uh, sometimes it's an absolute logistical nightmare, which is the reason why this is coming out so late in the week. We uh, apologize for sending this out extremely late. We had a couple of technical issues on our end, but we love doing this for the fans. We love doing this for you guys. It's something we're incredibly proud of, and we hope to not only improve upon that, but also improve upon other small details like pronunciation. So the more comments that you guys leave, both for the sources of your podcasts and on the blog, we look at those comments and we read them and we take them into consideration and we really want to try to make this pod the best podcast that you guys listen to every single day. So yeah, and part of that involves us improving upon a lot of things and one of those things is our german pronunciations which we know are absolutely awful uh chuck uh for the people out there that want to go ahead and yell at you on twitter for how badly you pronounce munchen glad back uh how can they reach out to you please you can reach out to me at the barrel blog on twitter and as as you can tell i mean we're really really throttling down our accents as you know i'm from philadelphia so the fact that i'm like i'm not pronouncing yous or saying yo yo every three seconds that tells you that i'm really trying to refine myself here for this podcast so bear with us on the german pronunciations uh we will absolutely be making those better and for those that don't follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Jefferson Fenner, where you'll find out that I'm from New England, and I too have an accent that I'm trying to stamp down. And I imagine that for some of you, when you hear that I'm from New England, it's probably me telling you that I picked up a nice fresh bowl of chowder after I packed my car over there by Harvard. I don't have that accent. Not everyone in New England has that accent, but even still, the pronunciations are a part of the experience of being a German soccer fan, and that's something that we understand we're going to try to improve that. So once again, thank you for listening into the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks, at The Barrel Blog, at Jefferson Fenner, and of course, the blog itself, BavarianFootballWorks.com. From all of us at Bavarian Football Works, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, auf Wiedersehen.